Welcome to Coaching Leaders, the podcast that is dedicated to helping managers become better coaches. Today's episode is powered by One Minute Feedback. If you face challenges with receiving feedback that is helpful and encouraging, then you will want to try One Minute Feedback. One Minute Feedback's cloud-based feedback survey helps you get supportive feedback from your colleagues and external partners. The feedback you receive using One Minute Feedback is unique in that it helps you understand what you should keep doing and highlight areas of your courage to grow. Hi, my name is Raf and I'm the host of Coaching Leadership Podcast. In today's episode, I've got a special guest, special for me personally, because the whole purpose of my podcast is to help managers become better coaching leaders. And if I think about the coaching leader, then I have one person in my mind, and that is today's guest. Kieran is a co-founder of Experience 101, public speaker, and to me, role model when it comes to coaching leadership. So I'm really excited about this conversation today. And thank you, Kevin, for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much for having me. And thank you for saying those nice things. I'm sitting here blushing right now, Raf, um, which I don't do very often, if I'm honest with you. I'm, I, it's, it's not really my thing. But uh, no, I, I really appreciate you having me on this. And I think this is going to be uh, an amazing chat. I'm very much looking forward to it. Me too, me too. Now, I already told who is my coaching leader role example, the best coaching leader that I worked for. And that's actually you, Kieran. So thank you very much for that. However, I would love to learn from you who was the best, who is the best coaching leader that you have worked with or for. That's a really tough question, you know, because there have been some good ones and there have been some real shockers. I guess if I, when I think about my very first coaching leader, it would be my first area manager, a chap called Mr. Cole. And I guess it's weird that after, even after 25 years or so, 20 years, I still call him Mr. Cole. And I think that kind of, that shows the kind of the, the way in which I feel about this guy. He really understood people and he understood what it would take to get the very best out of people. And I was 21, I think, when he was my, my manager. Um, so at 21, I knew bugger all about bugger all. And he was on a real mission to try and help us uh, really develop some skills. Um, so Mr. Cole, I think, you know, and I, I quite often to this day go back when I'm, when I'm having a difficult decision, a difficult choice to make. And I kind of found myself thinking, what would Alan do? Because he was an amazing guy. You know, he was just, he was funny. He understood the power of humor, uh, but he also knew how to put the fear of God on people. Um, so it was a really useful kind of, uh, a useful relationship to me. Well, sounds like a great leader indeed, Alan. So what were the characteristic traits that you picked up from him or you tried to make it your own characteristic traits? And in your journey towards coaching leader, what, uh, what have you learned from him and replicated? I think really the, one of the first things he ever told me was that people do business with people and it always comes down to relationship. Numbers, KPIs, that they will do what they will do. However, people come back because of you. And when I think about that and I think about being 21 years of age and running a tough community pub, really kind of understanding that, you know, we had to, had to connect with people on an individual level and really try and work out how to get how to do that was not the easiest thing in the world, but he really helped me with kind of being able to understand people as individuals. And that's, I think, was probably one of the first lessons I learned and probably one of the most important lessons. And it's important for a couple of reasons, really. I think at the time, you know, it stopped me getting assaulted on a daily basis in the pub that I ran. It was a tough place. And being able to really kind of uh, work out how to get those people, those guests, who maybe I didn't want in the business to get the best out of them, get the best outcome was 
very much about how I was going to communicate with them. So on a, on a personal basis, he probably saved me from getting a couple of beatings, uh, which is always a good thing. But then <laughs> on a professional level, you know, he was, he was the first person who said, actually, I think you guys, you could, you could train and you could develop people. And he set me on the path to really kind of understand that actually our responsibility as business leaders is very, very simple, is we are there to create leaders. If we're looking for a collection of followers who will just blindly listen to what we say and take our instructions and take our direction uh, without challenge, well then, you know what, we'll do okay and the business will be reasonably successful. But if we want our business to really grow and we want our business to really prosper, we need engaged individuals who absolutely take the success and the failure of that business as very as personally as I would do. And yeah, I think for learning that lesson at 21 um, made a huge, huge impact on me and my entire career, to be honest with you. That's a very good lesson early, early in your own journey, because from my experience, what I, what I noticed is that the manager, especially when they're stepping into that journey, they tend to use that formal authority, the title to get the shit done rather than just create those leaders and followers. And I actually believe deep down, they want to be those great coaches and leaders, but that requires certain skill sets and time. And we, quote unquote, don't have the time. We need to deliver those results. But what we have is a job title, which is my, my job title, my, my position. And I'm using it to get the results done. How can we help junior managers when they step into that role, have that understanding exactly like you had when you were 21, that you have to focus more on your people rather than on those results? I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in sharing stories and being open and, and honest about successes and failures and from the past. I think it's absolutely vital that you do that. And it's, it's interesting you talk about that kind of trying to lead through a job title. Well, at 21, that's really all I had in the tank when I first started, if I was honest. I was a very young looking individual, you know, this fine bearded fellow that you see before you today, I couldn't grow a beard until I was about 39, Raph. You know, I was, I looked about 12 when I was 20. It was ridiculous. And I'm running these tough pubs, trying to kind of instill some sense that I'm in control, both in the customers, but also within the team who are working with me. And in those businesses, I had people who, I had a, a wonderful cook who was 50, 52, I think, when we, we first met. Um, she was a, a, a lady who'd seen seen things, done things. So I had to respect that in a big way. You know, there was no point in me walking through the door and thinking that I'm now the big boy, I'm in charge, and I'm going to impose myself on everybody because of that. Because, well, that's just utterly disrespectful to the respect to the experience of the people within that business already. And any smart leader understands that when you walk through the door of a new business, you really want to be able to connect with your people sooner rather than later. Because if you don't, you're just creating a stick, you're creating a rod for your own back to create problems further down the line. So I think really being able to kind of share those own personal kind of stories is absolutely key. But getting them to think about what do they actually want to achieve. When you think, go back to that first time that you tried to give somebody a direction or an instruction, maybe when the, 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 the brown stuff is flying and getting ready to hit the fan and you go into full directive mode and you really just need people to follow instructions. What is that moment? What's going through your head at that moment? And what do you think, what do you feel is going through your team's mind when you're about to get out those first instructions? So I guess I spent a lot of time trying to help people to 
empathize with the people that they were going to be uh, working with. And certainly if they're going to be training them and developing them, they have to have a really good grip on what is important to them and what's going through their mind. So I think trying to develop that skill of empathy, you know, I, I believe it's a muscle. I think we all are born with it to some different degrees, but I think all of us can really kind of build on that and develop the skill that we have. And that takes time and effort. So I guess the starting point is really understand if those people want to put the time and effort in to developing that skill, developing that ability, or are they content to just do, to just do enough to get through the day? I, I, I don't, I've never been in a position of the mindset that, you know, I'm going to change the people. I think you change the, change the environment uh, to try and resolve the issue and working out what it is that's driving that behavior is absolutely key to that. I totally agree. Now, since we are on the stories, I, I also had to learn empathy, the, how to be more empathetic towards people around me. And I realized first time that I failed, it was when, when I was a young wrestler. I came up from the uh, environment when we training every single day and there are some tough moments, whether we're playing football or, or fighting each other. And when I moved to the college, I just couldn't understand why people wouldn't play with me so tough as I do with them and they crumble. And every single time when I look back in those moments, how I treated them, it sounds bad and it was actually bad. I had no empathy and no understanding. I thought they were weaklings. And then if I would took the same behavior into the working environment, that would be disastrous. Luckily, when I joined Hadro Cafe in 2006, I met you. For the first time, I became a part of the brand and culture that actually takes care about people. And I've learned what leadership really is about. So empathy needs to, you're right, we all born with it. But in my case, I, I just couldn't sort of apply it when it comes to the moment when I'm quote unquote an expert. When, when you were a wrestler, so if, I, I mean, I would love to have seen you wrestle in your absolute wrestling prime. I reckon you would have been an absolute machine, I'll be honest with you. Um, but I wonder if, if you would have been able to look at those people differently. So those people who maybe crumbled a little bit sooner, those people who maybe uh, gave up a little bit faster, if you look, were able to look at them differently at the time, how do you think that would have affected you as a wrestler? It wouldn't. What I wasn't able to do is to distinct that athlete has its own journey and we are the product of our journey. And my colleagues in the classroom, they didn't share my journey. They wouldn't develop in the same way. And so it wouldn't impact me how I was as a wrestler. But if I would look at them from this perspective, sooner in my career, in my life, I would realize I have to separate things and look at an individual and from the perspective of your point, where you are in your journey, at what point, and what led you up to that point, I was discarding it completely. I just, I wouldn't think that you didn't have the same level of training that I had for years, right? So when I take, when I didn't learn that lesson personally and took it to the work environment, I've realized that, no, my employees are not stupid. They're not, they're not lazy. They're not not reliable they're not fortunate to have leaders with them years prior to today to develop them to that point and so that's the difference for me right now that's that's one of the biggest lessons that i've learned understanding not everyone has the same shared the same journey that i did not everyone was fortunate to meet a coaching leader yourself now i've met only one but one is enough and so not everyone has that lack and that is huge huge lesson for me personally nice that's yeah, that's really interesting that because I, I think I agree. I don't, I don't think it affects the way that you would have, have approached your own competition. I think it just affects the way that you would deal with them on an individual basis. And when 
we think about our lives and we think about kind of our working lives, how we're trying to progress people and grow them and develop them, we have to be able to recognize that they move at different paces, that they're often at different points in their journey. Just yesterday, I was talking about intent-based leadership. And, you know, the idea is that every person within the business, every person within your team becomes an active, proactive individual who's looking to build towards the business success. However, can we expect them all to be exactly the same spot? Can we expect them all to be exactly the same level of comfort with making their own decisions and actually coming to you and working through that leadership ladder? Of course we can't. But the goal is that we can get them all there eventually. Nice. Good, man. I like that. That works for me. Yes. So uh, since we are with the stories, about two years ago, one of the junior managers approached me in Wagamama and she asked me, when I'm looking at those young individuals or the freshly promoted managers, they're making those mistakes, common mistakes that I no longer do. She literally asked me, do you think that we are stupid or do you think that we are not capable? And I told exactly what I just told you. I no longer do that. And why? Because I have made curiosity as my second core value. I'm curious. So rather than looking at your behavior and thinking, this is stupid, that shouldn't be done that way. What the hell you've been thinking? What's running through your head? What I am doing now is I'm curious what led you to the point that you are actually performing in a certain, certain way. We need to accept that everyone wants to contribute. Unfortunately, everyone is, is capable of doing so because they never had that leader behind them. And some of them, and some of those, including myself, I never had a parent who would guide me. Wrestling guided me, not my parents. And everyone's story is different. And chances are you're hitting, you're a 20 years old person and nobody ever guided you in a sort of a mentorship style. So who am I to judge your capabilities and skills right now? I'm nobody and I shouldn't do that. So stay curious for a little bit longer and wonder what led them up to that point, find out, discover, and then start developing those skills that they need to hit that mark. I think that's a really good point. I think there are so many people that we meet, you know, in hospitality, I guess, specifically, we meet young people uh, at a very early point in their development. And they're children, basically, you know, you might come to me at 18. Um, and, you know, the law tells me you're an adult. But in the grand scheme of things, you're really not just yet, you know, you are very much still finding your way finding the person that you're going to be. So we, we get to be an absolute key element of their formative years of the adult they're going to be, you know, that, that hopefully their parents have kind of gotten to a point and instilled some basic principles in them. But we're going to be the thing that helps take them to the next level. We're going to be the thing that helps them decide what kind of human being, what kind of adult am I going to be in this situation? What am I going to do in the world? What am I going to try and bring to the world? And that's for me was one of the most powerful things. You know, I, I look back over the years at some of the folks who joined me. Um, there, there was a guy called Danny and, and Danny was one of my favorite people over the years. But when I first met him, um, I've just, he infuriated me. He was, <laughs> very very dry incredibly sarcastic he deflected whenever anything got difficult um he was just but he was incredibly bright and you look at him and thought you know you could see that he was capable of so much more but he he just didn't really have the interest and he worked with me for a while and i i, I was kind of trying to work on him and build him and get him to the point where he'd become a team leader and you could see that i, I knew that i wanted him to become one of my, the gms of the future but it just his head wasn't in it by any stretch and I remember he came to me one day and said, you know, Kieran, I think, I think I want to go and have some time away. I'm going to go traveling with my girl. I was like, that's a good idea, man. Yeah, do that. And he said, oh, the problem is, is you know, I'm, I'm going to go for like six months. 
He said, and I'm worried that when I come back, I'm not going to have a job. And I was like, I tell you what, boy, if you come back to me in six months with your head in the game and ready to go, then I will have a job sitting here waiting for you, ready to walk into. Because everything that you've got in, uh, as a capability, as a potential, there is a blockage right now. And if going away for six months and doing that traveling and spend getting, having those adventures, if that's the thing that just knocks that blockage away, then boom, happy days. And I, I, when he left, you know, we, we shook hands and he said, I'll see you in six months. And I was like, I really hope so. I do really hope so. And I, I believe that I tried to come from a mindset and I tried to come from a place of giving people trust to begin with. And hopefully they build on that rather than take away from it. So I chose to say, you know what, I'm, he's going to come back. He's told me he's coming back. He's going to come back. And you know what he did? And when he came back, he said to me, the first thing he said to me is, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. Wow. And I'm like, yes. And this, this is the moment now. And I'm looking at this boy and, and I am not a hugger by nature, Raph, you know this, but I'm looking, I'm thinking, I just want to hug this boy right now because we're, we're going to do something magical. And within probably within nine months, he had become general manager of a brand spanking new site. Uh, it was beautiful. It was different. It was for the brand that he was working with. And he took that site and he absolutely killed it. He built a team from scratch. We recruited the team. I was very lucky that I got to be part of the recruitment process for his new team with him. But the work that he did and the way that he developed, uh, just wonderful. Now, that moment where we make the decision and say, I will hold that job for you for six months. It's going to cause me some pain in the short term because it did. You know, you, you, you tell your area managers and regional managers, that I'm not going to replace this guy right now, but I'm going to hold a space for him. And they're like, he's not coming back. And then, oh, well, I, I believe he's going to come back. Yeah, he's not coming back here and you're kidding yourself. That caused me some difficulty. However, when I look back and I think about what we gained and more importantly, what the brand gained, through taking that time and, and giving him that opportunity, the loyalty he showed to that brand, he was with them for eight, nine years. That's, that's huge. It doesn't happen anymore, does it? People, people move on very quickly because they don't get engaged in a brand. They don't get engaged in the values and the vision of it. But because we were able to show this is what we're all about, this is how we operate, he was on board. And that was him. And, you know, that's a, a simple example of how just taking the time and giving somebody the space that they need and recognizing that not everybody is at the same point in their journey can be incredibly successful. Yes, I totally agree. You have built a tremendous amount of trust with Danny at that particular point. Yes, it, it could be seen as a gamble for by most people, but you're absolutely right. You gave that trust up front. And we as a human beings, we would just simply reciprocate most of the time. And when we do, we do it tenfold. And the ripple effect from that point onwards is incredible. But what I would like to do now is to actually stay with Danny. We're having a Danny who is a great potential, but he's not there yet. And you've decided to develop him. Now he's coming back. What were your structure? What was your, what was your approach from that day one? So you said nine months onward, nine months later, he has run his own restaurant. What were your process? What's your approach? I have a very kind of a very hands-on approach to the development of people. You know, I just, as an operator, I like to be in the middle of things anyway. You know, that's just an instinct. Um, so in, in any element of my job, any element of my role, I want to be right involved. I want to be right in the middle of it. So for, for him and, and for all of them, to be fair, you know, we had a really clear strategy about what it was going to look like 
what the development was going to look like. So it would go from uh, up into team leader role. Now, even for, for the step up into a team leader role, in most businesses, you get the pat on the shoulder to say, you're now a team leader. Here's a different colored shirt and possibly a gold badge. That's absolute garbage in my world. I don't do that. If somebody's going to step up into a team leader role, what, what, what I'm doing at that moment of making them a team leader, as I've said, you're the next general manager that comes out of my business. So if you're going to become a team leader, you've got to earn that position. So we've had, we have a, uh, an interview process that is challenging. That is harder than quite a lot of kind of front of house manager processes and a lot of businesses because I'm not interested in, in it being an easy ride. I need him to know that this is a hard life and it's going to be tough. And if whatever he's going to get, he's going to earn. That's just it. You know, I'm not giving anything to anybody for free. You know, this life is hard. That's the thing that I learned from being a young boy. That's the thing that I learned from being the youngest of six children. Life's hard. Nobody's giving you anything. So you've got to be ready to earn it and put the time in to get it. So we had a tough interview process for him to become the, the team leader. And everybody in the, in the team was going, Danny's going to be his next choice. He's going to be the obvious next choice. And there have been situations where yeah, in, in we, when I took over in Wagamama in Nottingham, we had a team leader who had been guaranteed the job. And she just wasn't quite ready yet. You know, She was a lovely girl, but she had a tremendous ego. And she needed to just kind of dial that back a little bit and, and understand the people around her rather than it being about her. So using those moments and using that kind of t- that interview process to really help them highlight where they, what their strengths are and what their kind of areas of weakness and their development points are is absolutely key. For Danny, it was relatively, it was relatively simple, to be fair, because he listened. You know, he'd been with me for six months up until this point. He paid attention. He understood what, what I expected. And what I expect is... I want commitment, I want uh, understanding, I want the truth, and I want honesty. If I've got those things from you, I will give you every, everything else. All of the skills can be trained, all of the skills can be taught. It isn't the most complicated thing in the world. But you've got to have that kind of starting point of those shared values. And that, for me, is really, really key. So Danny had that, and he took the step into the team leader, and you know, he would start off and, you know, he's looking after individual tasks. And again, I was, I'm a big believer in kind of utilizing the people within the business. Uh, my, one of my old area managers would say, Kieran is the king of delegation. You know, he does, he does very little operationally. Well, you know what? My job was not about cleaning cutlery. It wasn't about doing the, the, the basic stuff on the restaurant. It was about taking the next generation. So it was about making sure that the, those jobs were being done and that with Danny it was about helping him to understand how to communicate with individuals how to communicate with different people you know some people need the kind of the tough the kind of challenge the banter they need to feel it kind of is is not just being handed some people need the arm around the shoulder and probably for him one of the biggest challenges was one of his peers actually was another team leader uh, who was a lovely girl but she was very she was very sweet and she did need the armor on the shoulder. She'd come from a really tough kind of background growing up. And she'd had it really, really difficult. Um, so she did need the occasional armor on the shoulder. She did need some care and attention. Whereas he didn't. You know, he wanted, he just wanted to be told. He wanted it tough. So for him, helping him to understand that he was no far, no, no further down the path than her, just because he was okay to take the bit of a kick in every now and again and and to just be told directly. And she needed something a little softer and the information and the message couching sometimes to just soften that blow and get it and get it on point. 
for him initially, he looked at her and he was like, she's weak. It was that thing of you and your restless. She's weak. Yes. What's the problem? Why does, she, why does she need this from me? Why does she need this from you? Everything that you're doing is designed to make us better. So she should just take it. And I'm like, but Danny boy, that works for you. It's not going to work for her. We, we work with individuals. And if we're doing our job properly within, a, within our business, we're building a team of individuals who understand what it means to make a collective and really do push towards those shared goals. But they've all got their own individual personality traits. They've all got those own individual kind of uh, little triggers and those points that will make them either excel and shine or will just make them crawl back up into their shell and hide. So we've got to be able to recognize when they come. So we spent a lot of time working around that. And that was huge. Then I guess he probably spent maybe five, four or five months as a team leader. And again, I'm looking and, and sometimes life comes down to timing. I had a manager who decided it was time to move on. Uh, he was going to go and do something different. So this opportunity came along. And again, we go through the process. If you think that the team leader interview was tough, well, the front of house manager interview then goes up another level. You know, it becomes a longer process, a more challenging process and more detailed. Because obviously then, you know, you're going to go from influencing the behavior of the people on a shift, which could potentially be kind of eight or 10 people, to as a manager then going to be influencing the behavior of everybody in the business which at that point was around sort of 30 35 people so really to help him understand that step kind of up and onwards and how he's going to then he's going to have to kind of really just amplify everything he's learned by this point already and just take it up to 11 that's not easy but again the process it comes down to the process so I very much kind of, when it comes to that interview process, I, I would give assignments. So I would give examples and say, right, I need you to go away and bring me a solution about what this, how you would resolve this problem. And at this point, he's kind of used to that because you and most of the people who worked with me in the past will recognize that moment when you come to me with a problem. Generally, what you get is about three more, three or four more different questions rather than just this is the solution to your problem. Because like you, I don't believe that we win by giving people the answers. There are moments, you know, as I say, when you've got to go full directive and take control. But fundamentally, if we're doing our job effectively, if we're doing our job well, there is always time to be able to challenge and push back and say, so what do you want to do? What do you see around you? What is it that's affecting your decision making right now? How are you feeling? How are the people around? How is that in, in, in decision going to influence the team around you? How is that decision going to influence the guest experience? Putting that filter onto every decision, every time you do that, it just becomes closer and closer and closer to being muscle memory. And they will just absolutely do that on a daily basis. And getting that time, and that, that was probably one of the things that he took to more naturally, because he was a, he was a problem solver. Like me, he liked difficulty, he liked challenge, and he liked to try and resolve issues. So he was also quite competitive, which helps too. So every time he came to me for an answer uh, or with a problem, he got to the point where he was just coming to me with, this is, a, this, is the, this is the situation, and this is what I'd like to do about resolving the situation. Are you okay with that? Boom, happy days. We did that for a couple of months, and then we get to the point where this is the situation, this is what I've done to resolve the situation. Bang. Then when, when that moment comes, Raf. I'm feeling good about life. Yes, you've mentioned the about intent-based leadership, and that's from the book uh, "Turn the Ship Around," which is which is 
fantastic book. It shaped the way I look at leadership differently. And it's such an empowering book because it is about empowerment. In my opinion, the best book written right now about how to empower people because it's it's quite simple, but so powerful. And as you mentioned, people then coming back and they're letting you know what they're going to do. I mean, they own what they're doing. They claim the responsibility, not looking for opportunities to to deflect it left, right, and center. Now, one thing that I have to tell you that I've learned from you, and maybe the listeners right now thinking that you have a process, well, you do have a process that is actually quite formal. One thing that I actually learned from you is that our conversations were never written down and structured, as in like we meet in two weeks, we sit down, we write all the points, and we move to the next one, which was the polar opposite to how I was developed before I worked with you. And I've resonated with that style so much more. It spoke to me and it actually told me, hey, dude, I have a time for you and I care for you. I look at you as a human being and I'm not doing it because my HR tells me to fill those papers. You had a clear plan and structure in your head, but to me, it looked like there was a plan in your head, but it all felt organically. What would you suggest leaders or managers to do to try following your footsteps because there is that pressure of making things systematically, sit down every two weeks, four weeks, or two months, write it down. And, and I get it. There is a point. There is a reason sometimes when we need it from, from HR perspective. But unfortunately, managers are taking it literally and using it as the only development opportunity and conversation. How can managers get more comfortable with having those organic conversations like ad hoc feedback coaching conversations? I guess primarily it's taking your ego out of the situation. And, and that was a hard lesson for me to learn, if I'm honest with you. You know, there, there was a spell in my career, in my life, where my ego was so far out of control, it was ridiculous. You know, I, I, I felt like I was king of the world, absolute number one. And I've done bugger all by this point, Rafa, if I'm honest with you. But I'd won a couple of awards and I was feeling great about life. I was a terrible leader at that point. And I learned that and I learned how that was impacting people around me. So I made the decision to say, you know what? My ego is not my amigo in this situation. I think it was Cy Waitman that said that, doesn't it? That your ego is not your amigo. And she's absolutely right when it comes to giving feedback. So for me, I think because I'm very much invested in the development of those people around me, because as individuals, as people, I like them and I want them to succeed. You know, I guess it's very easy in turn for me to just say, well, let's have the conversation. So if I take my ego out of the situation, I guess in the scheme of things, I don't have to worry about knowing every single answer that every single, to every single question that's ever asked me. I think part of the reason why people feel like they need to have that absolute rigid, disciplined kind of uh, structure is because then they know exactly what's coming their way. Then they can feel comfortable with the questions that are going to be asked and they can feel like they're prepared for that. Now, I'm, I, I love preparation, but I also love the idea that kind of we could potentially work through a solution together just in conversation. I don't know every answer. I just don't, you know, never have done and never, ever will do. You know, but I've learned a tremendous amount from the people who have kind of come through the ranks and learned from me and come from the situation around me. But I've learned tremendous amounts from them just by listening and sometimes just by kind of talking through the problem, which... The only way you can do that is by being comfortable with being wrong or by being comfortable of saying, actually, I don't know that. Let's, let's work through it. And that moment, the first moment you say to somebody, I don't know the answer. Let's work through it and try and come up with a solution together. What does that do for them? I mean, you said before it kind of about building trust. All that does, that's the icing on the cake. That says, actually, that vulnerability at that moment, that's, 
you're, you're so comfortable in yourself and, in, and with me, more importantly, that you can tell me you don't know the answer. That, wow, honestly, Ralph, I just, again, it's a moment. It's a moment. You can see the look in somebody's eyes the first time you have that discussion with them. And they go, okay, so we're going to work this out together. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to work it out together. That is a joy because then they can see that actually they have got ownership of the solution. And it's just another track back to that moment where, you know, if you ask me a question, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you three more, three or four more on the top of it. It's just an extension of that. It's just a really open and honest extension that says, I, I don't know. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's workshop the problem. You know, I love a mind map that works for me. That's a strategy that you and I have put together and worked through quite a few situations in the past. And it's incredibly productive. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it's the mind map. Sometimes it's just a conversation. Sometimes it's getting a few people around the table and saying, right, what does everybody think? Let's come to a conclusion together. Because if there is, if there is a challenge, if there is a problem that's big enough and, and potentially ugly enough, we all need to be invested in the solution. And if we're not, then we don't walk out of that door kind of unified in what that looks like going beyond. I mean, I, th I think think back to the times when we would walk out of a manager's meetings sometimes and from individual meetings and we would have we would have real arguments and real discussions around what we were going to do but the goal was always very simple that we keep we do that in the room but when we walk from the door we walk shoulder to shoulder together unified in the decision and whether we all 100% agree with it or not that's what we've come to as a, as a group that's what we've come to as a pair that's what we that's that that's the decision that we've made together so now we go away and implement that. Yes, I remember. But just coming back to the moment when you as a leader, you say, I don't know, I don't have the answer. What also is happening in that particular moment is that you are showing that you are a human being to your employees because there is that perception. And I've heard it over and over again from employees is they think because you've stepped up into that role as a manager, you know the answers, you the manager, right? And that creates a lot of challenges also for the managers because they're stepping up into this role and almost as if everything changes in people's minds and I think because you've got your job title, now you know all the answers and they're expecting it from you. So being able to say, hey, I don't know the answers, not only gets them involved in the conversation, have that ownership and feeling empowered, but also showing them that I'm a human being, I'm still the same person that I was, I, I don't know all of those answers and I will, never will. It's You're a beautiful absolutely right, moment. because there's, there's this weird expectation that when somebody becomes a manager, all of a sudden, it's like we just put a little chip. We download a USB stick to them, and they've got every answer to every possible situation that's going to occur. Well, that doesn't happen because we're not robots. Because, as you say, we're human beings, and we're learning as we're going. Yes. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I will actually now walk through the process of how you teach me something that was expected of me in my previous jobs. Just because I was a manager, it was expected almost, not almost, actually, it was expected from all of us to be able to interview. So the companies have those values and those grand visions, and they're asking you to hire for culture and develop people. But nobody actually told me how to interview. And so because I'm hands-on person, I will just get people into the business, show me what you're made of, and I'll tell you whether you're good or not. When you took me under your wings, there was, again, process to it. You brought me into the interview process, you sat me with you, and you allowed me not to ask any questions. If I wanted to ask, I could. But all it was to it, just to listen and see how you're doing, watching you in action. Then we finished the interview, 
and then we sat down right after that and you spend your time with me going through the lessons in my thoughts. And then the next interview came along and we do the exact same thing. And after four or five interviews, I had a very good picture. What does it take to interview from watching you and engaging? And then you've spent the time with me going through it. And as I felt more comfortable, I was engaging more in the interview process. And then eventually you were stepping away and I was stepping forward and I was able to do the same thing for another person. If we look from the traditional ways of this is how much it costs you, an hour of interview of your time, an hour of my salary, then half an hour conversation after each of those, that's a lot of money spent in that lots of managers could look at it from this perspective. However, what you were really doing is you were saying, hey, I know Raf that this is not something you're comfortable with. I'll invest my time, energy, and share my experience with you to help you out. And over you know two months or so, I was able to interview you and I was able to pass that knowledge forward. So I wanted to just say thank you for it. And for everyone who listens, that was the process that Kieran used and teach me something that I had no clue how to do it. And today I feel comfortable with interviews. Eight years ago, I was dreading them. I think the thing for me from that, and, I, and again, thank you, but the, the, the true power of that is the way you were then, then able to pay that forward. So I remember we had a team leader who thought that hiring and firing should be an absolute walk in the park. And if we bring somebody in, then they don't do very well, then we should just bin them off straight away. And then we should, that, that, that's then done and dusted. And I remember you kind of coming and talking to me and saying, Kieran, what, what do I do with it? And she's, she's just kind of, she's so tough with this. And again, you kind of, you came to that conclusion of the smartest move right now was to take her, a team leader, through that process. And that actually in itself was a really powerful moment because we then spent a lot of time with all of our team leaders. And what did we have at that point? I think we had 13 team leaders at that point. Yeah, exactly, 13. So to be able to put those 13 people through that same process and really kind of help them to understand. And you know what? Some of them were not going to do it as part of their job going forward because it's not something that they were comfortable with or something that they wanted to do more for some of them. But understanding the process and understanding how long we would take to try and get it right. You know, and you, you can never get it 100% right in, an, in, in a recruitment process. You ask the right questions, you can hopefully get the right answers, your instincts, you trial them, you work them, you speak to team, you get as much feedback as you can and make an informed decision about whether they're the right person to bring into your team. And more often than not, we got it right, but occasionally you didn't. And you've got to, again, it's that acceptance that we're human beings. But that moment when you spent time with that team leader, and really got her to the point where she went through that process from start to finish, from reviewing those CVs, and you just think back to how many CVs we used to get at that point. God, every week there would just be a <laughs> stack. And there were some very bad CVs in those piles, some very, very CVs where you just look and think, did you really just write that? Or did somebody just, I don't know, did somebody just throw a whole load of words together and hope that I might be able to get a job from this? Because there were some atrocious ones. But then it's about looking and thinking, well, what were we looking for beyond the written word on the CV? You know, what was the message? What were, what were the values that they were demonstrating and showing within that CV? Job experience, I think we've said it before a thousand times. Who cares? I don't, I, honestly, whatever you've done before in your life, I'm really not that bothered if I'm honest with you. If it demonstrates to me that you care about people, if it demonstrates to me that somebody else's happiness has been at the forefront of your thinking, at some point in your life, then I, we can build on that all day long. So watching her go through that process was quite an amazing thing for me 
as a leader, just again, just be able to step back from it and watch you take control of that and, and kind of engage her in the process and seeing more importantly, most importantly, the impact that had on her as an individual. Absolutely huge, if I'm honest with you. Absolutely huge. Tremendous indeed. And you have mentioned that not every of those team leaders would use, would interview people in the future. And that's true. But what also we, we gave them is the opportunity to see the process itself of what it takes to go through the learning experience, making those decisions, the impact of those decisions on you, and understanding, as you mentioned, the whole process, because then you can replicate it elsewhere almost. And this is another lesson that I picked up from you. You treat a work environment as a coaching practice, as a coaching playground almost. So when most of the managers that I see and most of the mindsets that are existing within organization is you've got a job title as a manager, then you have a job title as an employee and you have to contribute to this company and it's all linked that way. Nobody really looks at it from the perspective of you're the human being who needs to develop universal skills that helping you as an individual to become the best possible human being that you want to be and it also helps our organization and so daniel pink called you know wrote fantastic book drive and talks about you know our, our drive our intrinsic motivation that's to me how you get people on board and making them coachable and make them invested in the development because you look at him as an individual bring them him and teach him all those skills. So uh, that's a tremendous lesson that I picked up from you, Kinesi. Thank you very much for it. But I would love to explore it a little bit more. Where does that come from? And how did you arrive to this conclusion and strategy? Because it is a strategy to me. I think that uh, I, I love the way that you, you worded it. It's like a coaching playground. And I think, if I'm honest with you, I, I'm a little bit selfish. I have a streak running through me. And I like to do the things that make me smile. And... Uh, I look for those opportunities to do the things that make me smile. So coaching people and developing people is one of the things that has given me the most pleasure over the years. So why wouldn't I create an entire building, an entire collection of people who were opportunities for me to just put that into practice? You know, like I say, everything is a muscle, you know, and whilst I don't spend a lot of time at the gym working my uh, actual muscles, I've spent a lot of time at the coaching gym putting those muscles to work. I'm really kind of developing them and seeing them how they can how they can develop within me. So I think I am a little bit selfish. I want it. I want to do what makes me happy. Um, but what I guess the joy of that is, if I'm going to be selfish about something, it should be to be selfish about finding joy in the development of others is something that I can work with. To be fair, so building that environment again, it was just a simple decision because. It was, I guess it was driven from my time in Wagamama, if I'm honest with you, primarily. You know, I'd spent some five, five years with Wagamama, which is unusual for me because I don't spend that long doing anything. Um, the, the, the only thing that's had more commitment for me in my life is my marriage to my amazing wife. You know, I knew 20, it. 26 years <laughs> she's been putting up with me. Um, there's not many other things that get that same level of commitment. So for Wagga to keep me for five years was a good sign. But they were able to do that because they created the opportunity for me to be able to put my things that I loved into action. So to be able to build that playground, to be able to see every stroll through the building as an opportunity to test my muscle, whether it was uh, with a group, which was tough for me to begin with. I remember standing in front of the, uh, the, the team at Red Hot for the first team meeting. And I think 
there was about 130 of them at the very first team meeting I stood in front of them. And I was terrified, if I'm honest with you. You know, I'm standing there trying to look like I'm in control and got complete kind of uh, autonomy in, of, of this situation. But no, I was terrified. It's the first time I'd spoken in front of 100 plus people. And these were the folks that I had to try and kind of uh, impact and impart my wisdom into. So seeing that opportunity was a world of fun. But those opportunities, those team meetings were opportunities to put them into action, those, co those coaching muscles. Then the, 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 the probably, I think the thing I miss most about being a day-to-day -day operator is the end of day walk around. So every day before I would leave the building, I would do a little lap of the building and I wanted to have a conversation with, with pretty much everybody that I met. But I didn't just want it to be a, a kind of vacuous pat on the back that has no real depth or meaning to it because I know that and more importantly they know that so that moment when you pass somebody on the back and say you've done a good job today thanks very much I wanted to be able to give them a specific example of what they've done well today I wanted to be able to give them a specific example of where they've made somebody else's day just that little bit better so for me to be able to kind of dig those out and search those opportunities out for me to have those conversations, then I'm going to have to be paying attention. I'm going to have to be asking a lot of questions from the team around them. And that's where my management team are there. So we, we had what, 13 uh, supervisors, team leaders. Um, I think at one point, at one point in Red Hot, we had 24 managers, Raf. 24. That was crazy. Wow. That's more than most people have in their entire business. So being able to kind of engage with those people individually and get their stories about what individuals are doing and what they were adding, how they were adding value, then enabled me to be able to come back and track in, but also be able to challenge back a little bit. So if I understand from that manager that um, our receiver, so we had a receiver in, uh, in Red Hot, didn't we? And yeah. he would be back of house quite a lot. We wouldn't really get to spend too much time seeing him because it was a big old place, like I say, 26,000 square feet. So, Physically, our pass wouldn't necessarily cross so much. So I would have to be talking to the, the, the chefs around him. How was he engaging with those two, with that team? Because they were quite a specialist little bunch. You know, so he needed to, for him to get the best results from them, he needed to kind of think about how he was going to communicate with them. So I would be talking to them. I would be talking to the sous chef, to the head chef. And then I would track in with him. And I would ask a specific question around an action that day, a situation that day, how, whether or no they'd done well with it or whether he could have done better with it. And again, there's a starting point there because is he going to be honest with me and say, well, actually, this was a good result or actually I really cocked it up and I could have done a lot better. Again, that gives me an understanding about where he's at mentally as well and where he's at in his process. Because if, if he can't just tell me the truth and say, you know what, I cocked that up, then he, there's still a lot of work to do. But if he can, then we can really dig in. And actually, I can then give him another kind of perspective on what that looks like. And again, it's just honesty. It's, it's giving your own views, giving your own perspective without thinking that that is right. Yes. You mentioned that earlier on when you did your lap at the end of the day and wanted to really genuinely thank your team and be specific about it, which is hugely important. Now, first of all, to everyone who listens right now, positive feedback is one of the best coaching tools that you can use when you're using it rightly now i'm going to share the story now with you guys because it might not be as obvious to every everyone who's who's born and raised in england and this is me saying being polish and moving into the uk when you work in hospitality and you deliver uh, two drinks to the table on average you tend to get three to five 
thank yous for putting two glasses of drink on the table. And so across the day, I would hear hundreds of thank yous. If we now take it into coaching realm and sharing positive feedback, if I hear another thank you well done from my manager, I promise you, it means almost nothing to me. You can make it a little bit up with the tone of the voice and and all the social cues. However, there are so many thank yous across my day that is just literally like a Facebook like, thumbs up. Well done, well done, well done. And if I see my manager saying thank you, thank you, thank you for 10 people, it loses even more authenticity. But when you're coming to your employee and say, hey, thank you for that, I've noticed and observed three hours earlier on, you know, you've done X and Y and you made another person feel X and Y. That means you really care, you're paying attention and that's genuine. Now, your intention, Kiran, is to help me and support me. If you only sharing the thumbs up, thank you, it's, it's your job because somebody told you to do that or it's just such a common thing in the UK that you do it habitually, not from the heart, right? So please remember, be very specific with positive feedback, be genuine and authentic. Otherwise, it's just not seen that way. I mean, so true. I mean, it, it can become disingenuous very, very quickly. And what's the point then? You know, I mean, again, so that, that walk around, that, that could actually take me about an hour or so at the end of the day to do a full walk around and talk to every department and spend some time. So if I'm going to give that hour of my time, well, let's make sure, again, from an entirely selfish perspective, let's make sure it's a really useful hour or I may as well just kind of put up a picture of me on the door as they leave the staff room saying, nice one, thanks very much, have a good, have a good day. It'd be a lot faster uh, and a lot more efficient, but a lot less effective. And you're right, that moment of actually picking out something from two, three, four hours earlier in the day, more often than not, the person that you're talking to has completely forgotten about that. It's gone for them because you know they've, they've seen 50 more guests, they've been through more challenges. But that moment that you bring them right back to that because that, that when you bring them right back to that and you put them back in that moment of feeling, feeling amazing because they did something good for somebody and they felt good at the time, well, what you do is you drag them right back to that moment, put them in it again and say, that, remember that smile? Remember that smile that you felt inside? Remember that smile that you saw on that guest face? That's amazing. I love that. And you're putting it right back there. And the, the last thing that you do is you leave that room is you leave them with a smile on their face. That's our job. We get paid every day to ensure that people walk through our doors and find reasons to smile. That's it. And if we're going to put that on our team, then we sure as hell need to put our responsibility onto ourselves. And it just circles back all the way to the beginning of our interview when you've mentioned connecting with people and not necessarily, not only with our guests, but with every human being within your business that walks through your doors and works for you. Because this is who we are as a human beings. We resonate with it and we reciprocate back otherwise we're just an employees and i will never ever forget the feeling when i joined hard rock cafe and i promised myself that it doesn't matter what's going to happen in my professional career moving forward i will always create the same feeling to the person to my left and to my right because prior to hard rock cafe i had no idea what leadership is all about i had no idea that i can contribute to the workplace i can be, do something meaningful and be integral part of the team of the business. Before that, I was just an employee, clock in, clock out, do your job. You've been told when you do something wrong, go home. That's not very fulfilling. And so from the moment when I joined Harder Cafe, I promise I'll do exactly that. And my lessons and always my advice to everyone is, don't look at your organization that, you know, my CEO, my executives haven't done X and Y for me, therefore I won't do the same thing. I will follow this, why would I bother? 
you have the power to say thank you to the person to your left and to the right. And again, it's another lesson from you. Being a GM, being a leader of the business or a small team, you act as a filter. You have choice to make. Are you letting that shit going through you and pass it, pass it forward? Or are you going to filter through it, actually stop it and make people's day? And that's, that's the power of being leader. That's what, that's what great leaders do, I believe. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And I think we, we can all make the decision. You know, there's, we sit here today and this whole, if you look at the politics in this country right now, Dominic Cummins situation where people are saying he, as a, as a senior advisor to the government, behaved one way and we as people are being asked to behave another way. So if he's going to behave that way, then I will behave that way. Well, that's ridiculous. We are individuals. We are people who can make our own decisions about how we choose to behave. If he behaves in a way that we deem to be inappropriate, or if your leader behaves in a way that you think is not actually in line with the values that we, we, we all talk about, then that's their decision. You can't necessarily impact or influence their decision making. You have complete control over your own decision making and the person that you want to be. I think all of us get to make our choices about the individual we want to be. All of us get to make our choices about how we want to engage with people and we get to make a good decision or a bad decision. And for me, the good decision is just do the right thing. Yesterday, I did a session, the the, the intent leadership session, and on every session I deliver, I, I, I put my phone number and say, if anybody wants to chat about what we just talked about, get in touch. And yesterday, uh, uh, about probably 35, 40 minutes after I finished the session, a lady called me and she was having the worst day. You know, we've never met this lady and I, we've never spoken. She just happened to watch the session on Facebook and she said she woke up. She's just feeling overwhelmed, overwrought with this situation we find ourselves in right now. None of us know how to deal with this truly. You know, we just, we're all doing our best to get through it on a daily basis. But she was just... She was, she was crying on the telephone to a stranger. And there was a moment where she felt awkward and embarrassed about that. And the, the first thing that she asked me was, you know, can we talk? You fe- it felt like you were genuine in, in the way that you kind of spoke on that video. And I feel like I need something today. And I, there's something that tells me you can potentially help me with that. Now, we've got a decision to make there. I had quite a busy day yesterday. It would have been really easy for me to say, you know what, I don't have time now, but maybe we can schedule something later on. And you know what, I think about the fact that as a coach, you know, am I going to think about trying to charge her and spend and, and take some money from her? No, actually, the, the, the answer at that moment is, I've got a stranger on the phone who's picked up the phone to me and has taken that step and said, actually, I feel very, I feel overwhelmed today. And I feel like everything's getting on top of me and I don't know what to do. Well, then it's a really simple decision. So we spent about 90 minutes on the phone yesterday. We talked to her about what she was going to try to do with her, with her business, with her future. We talked about what she was trying to achieve. We put the phone down and she was like, I just feel so much better. And that's, that's us as people. We've got that responsibility to take time to be kind. You know, you talk about hard rock. That time sticks with us because actually the values of that business stuck with us. And take time to be kind is one of the ones that really just resonated with me at the point. And I lose count of how many times I've said it since. I could have easily just said to that lady, now I don't have time, I'm afraid. Let's make a time for a call. She didn't need that. She needed somebody right there and then to take the time and talk to her and give her the time and just give her a little bit of hope that this diabolical situation that we're in right now, it's temporary. Pain is temporary. What, what, what is that? Pain is temporary? Of course it is. We'll get past it. We'll get through it. We just need to do it together. 
we need to be sure that if somebody puts their hand out and says, I need your help, well, then you know what? Give them your hand back and offer your help. That's it. That's, that's the thing for me. And that's, I guess it's from a career. That's it. I've had a whole world of people who said, Kieran, I need help. And they put their hand out. And what do I do? I have a choice. Do I ignore them and keep on walking about my own busy life? Or do I put my hand out and say, I've got you. That's what we do. That's a perfect message to managers out there who unfortunately have the mindset of this is not part of my job. I'm not getting paid for that. I'm not getting paid to deal with with that sort of situation or I'm not paying, getting paid to babysit those 18, 19 years old people. I'm not getting paid to teach a basic thing to somebody who's 25 and should know by now. It's, it's How many times have you heard somebody some say, managers... we're not social workers, Raf? We're not social <laughs> workers. We're not here to babysit yes. them. Well, actually we are to a degree. You know, we are social workers. We deal with people. We are in a social environment. Of course we are. Truly. We truly are indeed. Now, we started with with a question, uh, who was the best coaching there for you right now? So my last question to you, Kieran, would be where would every emerging leader or any manager for that matter who wants to be a better coach-like leader would have to start work? What sort of skill sets or one particular skill that person needs to start working on in order to get there oh that's a toughie that is a toughie i think um at least once i could pay you back and, and ask you a question that is not easy <laughs> thank you man i appreciate that feels like you've been feels like you've had that in the tank waiting i guess for me the, the the starting point is get comfortable with not knowing the answers get comfortable with uh having an open conversation to work out what the solution is and leave your ego at the door you know whatever it's going to take you to work out that your ego is not your friend at this point when it comes to any coaching relationship, any feedback. It's just not, it's not about you. It's not about you feeling good, feeling clever, feeling like you're the smartest person in the room. It's about you putting your hand out and saying, I've got you. That's it. I would like to wrap up this, this episode with a quote from Kieran as well. He always talks about the fact that the reflected glory shines brighter and I have stolen it from him. And I live by that quote. And that shows that you have to put the ego outside. So reflected glory shines brighter. That's what they truly, that's what truly coaching leaders believe in and, and embrace. They're comfortable with the idea that somebody else is going to take the credit and is going to grow and is going to make that difference. That ripple effect just started. So thank you very much, Kieran, for being that type of leader and teach me all those principles. Well, I mean, I would say thank you for listening and thank you for kind of, for putting it to work. You know, I just, I, I'm a man who does not have children. I'm a man who has a wife that he loves, but has never had any interest in children. But I have a whole world of people around me and behind me who I've spent time and effort in and are people who I'm incredibly proud of. And you're on that list, my brother. You are on that list. Everything that you put to action, everything that you put to play and to make this work, to make your build your business, to build your brand. That's astonishing to me. And that's, that's success. That is success. So thank you for putting it all to work. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, I know that if I type on the social media, the boy Bailey speaks, that's where I would find you. You're quite engaging on Twitter. I know I can find you on LinkedIn. Is there any, any other places that the audience could connect with you, have a chat with you, or learn more, learn more from you? Yeah, I mean, it's literally you just type in boy Bailey speaks on social media. Uh, you'll find me. And, and I love a chat. That's the simple fact of life. I love a chat. So if you reach out to me, we will have a conversation. Uh, Twitter, I am very, 
very much involved in Twitter. Um, I, I believe in uh, authenticity, so you'll see everything that means something to me on Twitter, and I'll talk about all of those things. So sometimes it will be coaching, sometimes it will be uh, politics, sometimes it will be animal rights, sometimes it will be Liverpool Football Club. You just don't know. It could be all of those things. I think authenticity is key. So put me in social media, reach out, drop me an email, kieran at theboybailey.com, and uh, yeah, we can have a chat. You know, it's, for me, that's the joy of life, isn't it? You know, we just, we're surrounded by really cool people. So let's just find the opportunity to just have a conversation with those cool people. Just makes sense. Thank you very much, Kieran, for today, and uh, have a great day on purpose. Oh, I most certainly will. Thank you, Raf.